reading from uh, Mark chapter 16, uh, it's on page 1024, 1024. Um, Verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Would you like to keep that open, still in front of you? Uh, I got a card from one of you this Easter. Uh, I love it. Happy Easter, spelt Y-S-T-A. That's good enough for me. Um, I'd like to tell you about one of the most famous tombs in history. Possibly the most famous Egyptian pharaoh was Tutankhamun. Now, that's a reconstruction uh, of what he possibly looked like. The dimensions of his body was probably bow-legged like that and so on, because they've found his skeleton. He was a boy king, and he died in his late teens and remained at rest in Egypt's uh, valley, Valley of the Kings, it's called. He was there for over 3,000 years. That's almost as old as Quindelport. Uh, now, some of you know that's actually an in-joke, uh, because the children uh, at Christmas in the children's church were all asked to guess the age of myself and of Quinn, And I did a statistical calculation afterwards, and I averaged out all the ages, and they worked out that Quinn was older than me. (laughs) I'm I'm very happy and satisfied with that. Now, back to Tutankhamun. Everything changed in November 1922, uh, when Howard Carter, he was an archaeologist, he was excavating in the area, and he discovered Tutankhamun's tomb. There it is. The tomb almost escaped discovery and might have done to this day because it didn't have the entrance like that. It was just the mound. Can you see the mound behind it? It was simply a little hillock. Uh, but Carter had been searching tombs for a number of years, uh, and he was doing it for Lord Carnarvon in this country in Wales. Um, He'd been inspecting tombs, but he was looking for this one particular one. He believed it existed, but it had never been found. Uh, Meanwhile, Lord Carnarvon had decided he'd wasted enough money, and uh, he had no return from it, but Carter managed to persuade him to give him just a few more days uh, to look for the tomb. And within just a few days, the tomb was found. Uh, Now, this is just a a diagrammatic reconstruction, uh, but this is what it was like. It contained uh, four gilded shrines, and they were nested one inside each other. The innermost of these covered a stone sarcophagus, and they took it out of the tomb. That's an actual photograph. 
of them taking the sarcophagus, that's another word for a grave, uh, out of the tomb. And then they transported it uh, in a crate, a large crate, and this again is an actual photograph of them carrying the crate to a museum for inspection. Inside were three coffins, and the innermost coffin was made of a hundred and, can you get this, 110 kilograms of pure solid gold. Uh, that's about 250 pounds. That's even heavier than Quindelport. Only just, but it is a little bit. Now, inside this coffin lay the skeleton of the pharaoh himself. He was wearing the famous gold mask. And Carter found that ma that material sealed in with Tutankhamun, and it can now be viewed in Cairo's Egyptian Museum. But let me ask, what did... That was the mask. That's the actual gold mask, once they'd cleaned it up. And some of you will have uh, seen that picture. Now, just think about it. What did they find in Tutankhamun's tomb? Finding the tomb was a big shock in itself. Finding it full of gold and filled with the pharaoh's skeleton and that golden mask as well was an even bigger shock. After Jesus had been killed and buried, three of his followers had a big shock when they went to his tomb. They didn't find treasure. They didn't find a dead king. They didn't find gold. Uh, they didn't find a skeleton. They didn't find a mask. What did they find in Jesus' tomb? Well, they found three quite different things, but they were also a big shock. They found, first of all, the stone rolled away. If you've got it open in Mark 16, look at verse 3. Uh, they, that is the women, asked each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, that stone may have weighed over a ton. Had they forgotten about it? Did they think the guards would let them in? It seems they thought of it only when they reached the garden. In their grief, they hadn't thought it through. And suddenly, one of them realized, well, there's no point going on. It'll all be a waste of effort. But then, look at verse 4. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. At first sight, it must have looked like someone had broken in. But, you know, those guards had been placed there to make sure no one disturbed the tomb. And their lives depended on it. Well, now they'd run away. You see, God was at work, rolling that stone away, to let, not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in so that they could see inside. Now, that's the difference with the tomb of Lazarus. Do you remember the story of Lazarus, how he was raised from the dead? He'd been dead for, was it three days, four days, theological expert in the house? Four days. Lazarus's tomb was opened to let Lazarus out. Jesus' tomb was opened to let others in. And after only three days. It's the difference with Tutankhamun's tomb, which didn't let anybody in, at least not for 3,000 years. 
It was totally sealed up. So that was the first thing they saw. The stone rolled away. They did find something else, or rather, someone else. They found a man sitting. Look at verse 5. As they entered the tomb, verse 5, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. You notice that? The sort of little detail that a real eyewitness would have noticed. Sitting. Yes, yes, I remember he was sitting. Oh, yes, I remember another little detail. It was on the right side of the tomb. It's got all those marks of a real, actual, unvarnished eyewitness account. Uh, so, have a look at this picture. You'll see what's wrong with this picture. There are at least three things wrong with it. I wonder if anybody would like to put up a hand and tell me what's wrong with that pe- picture. The, the man is there. The women are there. What's wrong with it? Put up a hand. Yes? The guards are there, and they'd run away. So, obviously, the painter has sort of compressed the whole event so that he could get all the actors in it. Something else that's wrong. He's standing, whereas Mark tells us he was sitting. And the third, the little detail we thought about just now. What's the third detail? Yes, Pam. Yes, it is dark, actually. It might have still been darkish. I don't know. It, of course, in the picture makes it look a bit nicer because there's nice and bright. Which side of the tomb was he on? He was on the right side, whereas the painter here has put him on the left side. Now, again, at first sight, it looked like an ordinary young guy. But now have another look at the picture. What about the armed guard? They weren't there, actually. What had happened to them? And what about that white robe that was glistening white? And what about the alarming appearance of him? And what about that quiet command? Don't be alarmed. And above all, perhaps, what about his peaceful authority just sitting there, saying to them, I know who you're looking for. Now, the other Gospels tell us it was an angel. The difference with Tutankhamun's tomb was that no angel stood guarding it. For over 3,000 years, it lay unnoticed and could have done to this day unless Carter had stumbled upon it. So they found the stone rolled away. They found a man sitting. And there was something else they found, or rather, actually, that they didn't find when they entered the tomb of Jesus. What was in it? Well, the answer is very little. Now, let me illustrate it. I need a a helper at this point. Is there a volunteer? Jonathan, thank you. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. (laughs) Trust me, I'm a vicar. (laughs) Okay, now, Jonathan, what I've got here, I have got three eggs... And I can tell you, I know this for sure, I'm not tricking you with this at all. One of them is a soft-boiled egg. Uh, One of them is a hard-boiled egg. And one of them is a raw egg. Um, Now, that is absolutely true. And I'm not sure entirely, got a little bit of a guess, but I'm not sure entirely which one is which. Um, An egg 
is a little bit of a, of a miniature tomb, isn't it? A miniature one because it entombs the little chick until the chick breaks through and comes out. And when it does, it's the start of new life. So we have here three uh, little tombs. Uh, some of you who are a bit sharper um, uh, this morning will think of three people who died that day with Jesus. One of them was very hard. One of them was very soft. And you remember Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then there was the third one. We'll find out about that. Okay, um, do you do any cooking at home? Come and stand in front. I'm sure you can do this. Um, now, what we want you to do is to... Um, uh, why don't you take that one? Um, and crack it as you would if you were cooking at home on the edge of the bowl. It could be the hard one. It could be the soft one. It could be the... Ooh, which one do you think that is? No, actually, I think it's the, it's the soft-boiled one. Yes, there's still quite a bit of white there. Okay, how about this one then? Uh, can you all see at the back? If you can't see, you can stand up. Uh, okay, which one's that? That's the hard one, is it? Yep. Yep, we can take all that up. So that's the hard-boiled egg. Uh, so that leaves this one. And uh, I've been reliably informed, I've been told this by someone, that if you take a soft-boiled egg like this, um, and hold it between your hands. Could you, could you just hold your hands? Face everybody here. Uh, hold it between your hands. Okay. Like, like that. All right. Hold, up. No. hold, it, hold it carefully because it is, I promise you, it is a raw egg. It must be by um, process of elimination. Let's put that over here. Now, somebody has told me. Um, I've only tried this once, and that was about an hour ago. Um, and it wasn't entirely successful. <laughs> but somebody has said to me that if you... Maybe it'll work better this time. If you hold a soft-boiled egg like that in your hand and then clap your hands together, if it's a raw egg, it will, the whole raw egg will just fall down into the bowl. Um, so what I'm going to do... Actually, hold, hold your hand up a bit higher... And is there just a little gap at the bottom to let the egg down? Is it okay? Okay. Uh, I'm going to help you, Jonathan, because I'm actually going to clap your hands together. All right? Okay. Are you, are you happy? Are you, are you ready for me to do this? Do you trust me? Do you, you, think, it'll go, you think it's going to work? Okay. A little bit higher. That's it. Now, hold on. <laughs> After this morning's experiment, this might be... <laughs> might be wise. That just might help a little bit. Okay. I promise you, everybody, this is a raw egg. Okay. Let's see if it works. This time, at least. Okay. Are you ready? Slowly. And still, are you sure you're happy to be 
it was a raw egg, but what's inside it? Show it, show, show it to everybody. Nothing. So it was empty all along. Yeah. <laughs> You're sounding terribly nervous. Actually, <laughs> I think there was something inside it. Look. It's a note which says... He's risen and he's not here. Thank you very much. Mark chapter 16 and verse 6, if you've still got it in front of you. That was a raw egg, I promise you. I didn't lie. It was just that I took the inside out of it. And if you want to know how to do that, I'll tell you afterwards. Um, yeah. He has risen. He's not here. Mark chapter 16, verse 6. Say it with me. He has risen. He is not here. Mark 16, verse 6. Say it again. He has risen. He is not here. Mark 16, verse 6. When they came to the tomb of Jesus, it was like an empty eggshell. They found the tomb empty. And when they opened the tomb of Tutankhamun, they found his skeleton. They, they never found the skeleton of Jesus. When they opened Tutankhamun's tomb, they found it full of gold and the bones of the boy king and his golden mask. But when they entered the tomb of Jesus, all they found was his empty grave clothes. They found that Jesus was no longer dead but alive. Now that was a shock. And an even bigger shock, you know, is that Jesus is still alive. As Raymond told me when he walked in this morning, I said he's alive. And Raymond said, and he's here. That's right, Raymond. Now we don't see him. We believe he's here by his spirit, invisible. And, you know, maybe the very clever people, the theologians, they think maybe that's the reason why Mark, unlike the other Gospels, Mark ends it without an appearance of Jesus himself, if it ends at verse 8. In fact, it ends with that rather odd word, the word afraid. Why? Well, possibly for this reason. Because Mark was writing to the early church in Rome, possibly in the A.D. 50s. A church which was being persecuted, like the persecuted church today that we've just been praying for. And maybe Mark was saying to them, you don't see Jesus now. But he's here by his spirit because he arose from the grave and he's alive today. And even though you're going through great difficulty... You can call on him. You can trust in his presence today. The people mentioned in this story are examples of that. And I wonder if any of you identify with the three of them. Uh, there was the courageous individual, Joseph of Arimathea, all by himself. Looking and waiting for the kingdom of God, we read. 
And Joseph took courage and was very bold in God's plan. And God is looking for courageous people today, even if they're on their own. Some of them in Rome would have been in the AD 50s, very vulnerable, very exposed. And I know some of you are as well in your workplaces. There's the faithful followers, Mary, the other Mary, Salome, devoted, buying and giving, sacrificing expensive spices. And God is looking today for faithful followers who will do inconspicuous service of Christ. And then thirdly, and most wonderfully perhaps, there's the restored backslider. Look at verse 7. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. What, Peter? Yes, Peter. Even Peter? Yes, even Peter. So that there's good news on Easter Day for the followers who have let Jesus down. They can be forgiven. They can be useful to Jesus again. And God is looking even today for restored backsliders. He's going ahead of you, says the angel, like a shepherd leading his sheep. Back to Galilee, says the angel. Why Galilee? Well, because that's where he'd first called them and set them to work. He'll take them back and they can start all over again. And that's why we're now going to celebrate the means whereby all that can be made possible. We celebrate today both the cross and the resurrection. The cross with Holy Communion now. Uh, I think we'll take the eggs off the table and instead place the symbols there that Jesus himself gave us of his body and his blood given for us to bring us back to himself, to restore us, to forgive us, to give us his Holy Spirit, to give us the assurance of eternal life. So as we sit, uh, Lauren, come and help us to do that, to say sorry to God, to confess to him if that's what we need to do. So as Paul said, we're going to take communion together, which is a special meal that helps us to remember all that Jesus did for us. Um, And it's important um, as well because we get to do it as we gather here together as a church family and we get to do this and remember together. But before we do, it's important that we prepare ourselves. And like you would at home, if you were getting ready to have a meal, you would prepare yourself by going and washing your hands. Um, Washing your hands is about making yourself clean and ready to eat your meal. It's about not wanting to spoil the meal because of anything that might already be on your hands. Um, And it's about respecting the meal that you're having, not wanting to change it in any way and wanting to be able to enjoy it to the full. And in the same way as when we come to do communion, um, we need to wash our hearts clean of those things that we might have done or said that um, are not pleasing to God. So I'm going to say a prayer of confession, and you might want to just mime washing your hands as I pray, as a way of asking God to come and clean your hearts and take away all of those things that get between us and him. So let's pray, shall we? Lord, we are sorry for those things that we have said 
thought or done which aren't pleasing to you. Please forgive us. Please help us to show your love and hope to all those around us through our words and actions. Amen. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, and if we are truly sorry, then God loves to forgive us. He loves us and wants to be close to us. And it is such a joy for him to forgive us. Cool. So would you please stand? <clears throat> 